This is message number one of a Southeast Blending Conference held in Jacksonville, Florida on September the 1st of 2006. The title of the message is The Four Great Pillars in the Lord's Recovery, Part 1, Truth and Life. The speaker is Brother Ron Kangas. For uh, many weeks, that in a matter such as this, uh, we like to wait on the Lord, to empty ourselves before the Lord, and to give Him time to make clear His mind and His burden. And sure enough, uh, after several weeks, there was a fresh anointing, a fresh leading and a definite turn in the Spirit's leading to the general subject that we have for tonight, uh, knowing the Lord's recovery. And I will take time uh, to go carefully and slowly through this, maybe the slowness will be somewhat agonizing for some. But there is a particular burden in the spirit which matches a particular need among us in the Lord's recovery. And that is for a crystal clear seeing and knowing what the Lord's recovery is intrinsically. We need to know the Lord's recovery in an inward way, in an intrinsic way, in a way that touches the very heart of what we know to be the Lord's recovery. In a conference like this, it may appear, because the outward appearance lends itself to this, that one man is speaking for a, quite a long period of time, maybe 75 or 80 minutes, and everyone else uh, listens, perhaps passively, and then there's a time for so many to speak. But I'd like to impress you that actually we are here tonight as a functioning organism. We are still meeting in the principle of the body. And also we are a priesthood serving the Lord in spirit. And I mention this because I'm leading up to something to bring you immediately into your responsibility for the conference. You may say, what do you mean? You're the speaking brother. You bear the responsibility for the conference. I assure you I'm quite aware of 
my responsibility. But actually, to listen to the Lord speaking, to receive the Lord's ministry, also requires responsibility. Whether or not the word reaches you, whether or not the Lord touches you, and he wants to do both, does not depend entirely on God and not entirely on the servant of God, but also, to some degree, on the human vessels, that they would be open, that they would be exercised, that they would be obedient to the truth, that they would respond. In his ministry, the Lord not only said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, He also said, take heed how you hear and take heed what you hear. When the Lord began his public ministry as recorded in Matthew, he began by touching our being. And as I mention a few things, I hope that you will have a praying spirit, that you will be praying. I believe even as I'm speaking to you, my spirit is praying. The Lord said that we need to be poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm I'm somewhat worried. You read the general subject, knowing the Lord's recovery. I, I know. I know you know. But I also know that what you know is not all there is to know about knowing the Lord's recovery. So we are all responsible to be poor in spirit that is open and emptied in the depths of our being. I'd like to testify under the Lord's covering. I'm here in such a spirit tonight. I'm here to learn. I'm here to see. I'm here to be discipled. I'm not here as a professor, as an expert. I've been in the Lord's recovery for about 40 years. Longer than many of you have been in existence on the earth. When you're older... You get to say stuff like that. 
And in these days, the Lord's recovery is new to me. I read something today where Brother Lee speaks about the depths of the Lord's recovery. So we don't despise or demean what we have realized up until now. But there is a lot more we need to see. Lord, make us poor in spirit. Then the Lord said we need to be pure in heart. To be pure in heart is to seek only God and the will of God for the glory of God. In ourselves we are not pure and cannot say such a thing, but we should exercise our faith to believe that in Christ we are here seeking God himself. I assure you, this doesn't mean I'm not open to fellowship with you. I cannot solve any problems. I cannot solve anybody's problems. And if you're here hoping to get a solution to a problem, that's not wrong. But I hope that in the meetings, you would only care for God. And tell him, Lord, I'm here seeking you. I love you and I'm seeking you. And I would mention just one other matter, and then we could come to the general subject, then to the message title, and then to the development of the message through the outline. We need to have an obedient will. I was reading in Romans today, in my continuous reading through the New Testament, And I was impressed in the first several chapters of Paul's use of the words obedient or disobedient or obey. At one point he tells the saints, you have obeyed from the heart that form of teaching into which you were delivered. And a characteristic of the fallen human beings is that they are disobedient to the truth. The truth is not merely to be known. The truth is to be obeyed. If the believers in Florida all obeyed the truth, Perhaps not even the football stadium in Jacksonville would be sufficient to hold the attendees of this conference. Throughout Florida, there would be only one church in every locality. There would be no religion. There would be no hierarchy. 
There would be no deviation. There would be no compromise. Because everyone is obeying the truth. So I hope you can receive not only the word, but also sense the spirit. We all, we are all together shouldering the responsibility for this conference. It is truly a blending conference. I hope that you will pray, that you will take some time in the morning to read some verses, that you will read over again the outline from the previous message, that if you take notes, you might go over some of the crucial points, that you would give the Lord three days, a little less than 72 full hours, to do what is in his heart concerning you this weekend. That he would have the opportunity to speak to you, to cherish you, to nourish you, to shepherd you, to encourage you, to enlighten you, to enliven you, to heal you, to comfort you. These are some of the things he does as our organic shepherd. Now the general subject, knowing the Lord's recovery. I would like to give you tonight's definition or description of the Lord's recovery. The Lord's recovery is the Lord's move to bring his people back to the beginning so that Through them, he might fulfill his original intention. Now, I'm going to repeat that, so don't despair if you lost the thought in mid-sentence. The Lord's recovery is really the Lord's move, his moving. And he's been doing this for centuries. And and it is his move to bring his people back to the beginning. So that through them, those who have come back to the beginning, he may fulfill his original intention. God's original intention the purpose for which he created the universe and us, is to work himself into us in Christ 
as the Spirit, so that we may become His corporate, glorious expression. That is His original intention. Because we all became fallen into sin and death, the Lord implemented the plan of redemption to deliver us from sin and from death and from the righteous judgment of God, to forgive us, to cleanse us, to justify us, to reconcile us, and then to cause us to be born of him, that we would have eternal life and be his children. At that point, if we love the Lord, if we are open to the Lord, if we will obey the truth, the Lord will gradually bring us back to the beginning. By the beginning, we mean God's original purpose, God's plan, God's intention, what was in God as the origin. This implies there has been a lot of going astray, a lot of deviation. It implies much has been lost, much has been damaged. And actually, the vast majority of genuine believers simply make do with the present situation, hoping to be raptured since they've read the left-behind books and have become drugged by them and hoping for this or that in the future. But the Lord Jesus will not come back until some of the Lord's people return to the beginning, to God's original intention, to his eternal purpose, and become one with the Lord so that through them he can fulfill his purpose which is to produce the body of Christ that will become the bride of Christ. And for that bride, the Lord will come back. If there is no bride, there will be no second coming. It was prophesied in the Old Testament that the Lord, that the Messiah would be born in David's city, in Bethlehem. If no one had returned to the Holy Land, there would have been no way for the Lord to have come the first time. A small number returned to Jerusalem from Babylon, and through their descendants, there were two 
young adults. A man named Joseph and a woman named Mary. And through her, Christ was born. The principle is the same with the Lord's coming again. There is something that he must accomplish in this present age. That is to fulfill his prophecy. I will build my church, which is the body of Christ. When the body of Christ is built up, at least to some extent, in the local churches, and the overcomers have been matured and perfected. Revelation 19 will be fulfilled. The bride has made herself ready. And then the bridegroom will return. Recovery means that something has been lost. And then it's found. Recovery means something has been damaged or ruined. And then it's restored. But tonight I'd like to emphasize the principle of recovery is to go back to the beginning. The Lord himself was asked a lot of difficult questions during his ministry on earth. And one of the more difficult ones pertained to divorce and marriage. So he was asked in Matthew 19, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And he asked, What did Moses tell you? Well, Moses said, just write out a certificate of divorce and send her away. Then the Lord said, Moses said that because of the hardness of your heart. In the beginning, it was not so. In the beginning, God made them male and female. In the beginning... The man left his father and mother and was joined to his wife and they become, became one flesh and could not be divided. But because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce for any reason. But in the beginning, it was not so. That's recovery. In the beginning, it was not so. How many so-called churches are there in Jacksonville, Florida? In the beginning, it was not so. What a vast hierarchy there is in organized Christianity, especially in Catholicism, with the Pope at the top. Now, Benedict, what, the 16th? In the beginning, it was not so. Now we have a system of clergy laity dividing God's people into two groups with the hired professionals doing most of the work. In the beginning, it was not so. 
May this word sink into us in the beginning. In the beginning, it was not so. Isn't it interesting that John, in his mending ministry, begins his gospel with, in the beginning. And his first epistle, that which was from the beginning. God never deviates. And God never compromises. When he determines to do something, it will be done somewhere, somehow, sometime, with someones. So through the centuries there has been apostasy, heresy, all kinds of departure. Again and again, the Lord would have to pronounce those words. It was not so in the beginning. That is not the teaching of the New Testament. That is not the apostles' teaching and fellowship. That is not the divine revelation. That is not the New Testament principle. But many, because of the hardness of their heart, will just make do with the present situation. That's right. There were, there weren't, there are no denominations in the Bible, but we have to live with them. That's right. There's no clergy laity system in the Bible, but we have to live with it. That's right. There are no divisions along cultural, class, economic, racial lines in the Bible. But this is our situation. So, we'll have to make do. The Lord's recovery is actually a protest against the hardness of the heart which disinclines the dear people of God from even asking, what is your will? What is your purpose? Everybody wants to know God's will for their life. Who wants to know God's will for himself? Ananias told Saul of Tarsus, according to the record in Acts, you have been appointed to know God's will. So God had a plan in the beginning, a heart's desire, an intention, a perfect will. And this will will be done. This heart's desire will be fulfilled. And this intention will be carried out on the earth in this age by someone. And then the age will end. The Lord's recovery is the Lord's move by His Spirit through His ministry
to recover so many lost items in order to bring his seeking people back to the beginning, to his original plan, so that through them and with them, he can fulfill his purpose. This is not a quest for the perfect church. This is not a quest for a church utopia. But it is a quest for the genuine church. I don't have a perfect marriage. And I don't have a perfect family. But I'll tell you for sure... I've got a genuine marriage and a real family. You read the New Testament again. There were no perfect churches. There was a meeting, a long meeting, in which two persons fell down dead. In the meeting, separated by three hours, they lied to the Spirit. And first the man, Ananias, expired right there in the meeting. Then his wife came in. Same thing. Hypocrisy. Pretense. Lying. Pretending to be absolute. Right there in the early days. Then in Acts chapter 6. There is murmuring among a certain class of widows. The Grecians. Because they were neglected in the daily administration. And they were. This indicates that in this genuine but not perfect church. There was some, at least unconscious, racial problems there with preferences. Otherwise, why would some not be cared for equally? Read 1 Corinthians. Some were drunk at the Lord's table. Have you ever been in such a meeting? There was confusion regarding the gifts of the Spirit, divisions in the church. Brothers suing brothers. Sorry, I've seen that one. Colossi, heresy, coming into the church. John saying, this group, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Otherwise, they would have remained with us. So we're not talking about the perfect church. I'm not here in Jacksonville as an idealist. But I am here as a flaming visionary. With a vision from the word concerning God's intention regarding the church. So we are not here engaging in nostalgia for the good old days of the early church. We just 
are here to obey the Lord's requirement that we practice the church life according to what was in the beginning. But this is costly. If your husband is an honorable pastor and you bask in the glow of his glory and he has a following and he's appreciated, if he obeys this truth and takes the way of the Lord's recovery, he may be on the third floor taking care of the children during the conference unless he's serving on chair arranging or meal cleanup. Your husband is about to be a brother. Your husband is about to be a member. You're about to lose your glory. You're about to lose everything special. You're going to be one of the sisters. Humbling, isn't it? Very few of the believers will take this way. Why have we taken this way? I'll tell you why I have taken this way. First, I'll say the reason not. It's not because I'm better, because I assure you, I'm not. I'm the same as you. Does that shock you? Can you believe that? Adam is our father. I'm the same as you. It's not because I love the Lord more. Although I love him. It's not because I seek the Lord's more, the Lord more, although I seek him. You want to know why I'm here in the Lord's recovery? It's absolutely because of God's mercy. His mercy. You can struggle against a lot of things that God may do. Pretty hard to fight against mercy. The Lord just has mercy on you. He melts you. He touches you. But behind that mercy is the sovereignty of God in his government. So I took all this time to bring us somewhat into the spirit, the feeling, the impression of what we mean by the recovery. And this recovery is the Lord's. Okay, it's the Lord's. It never was Watchman Nee's recovery. It never was Witness Lee's recovery. And it's certainly not the possession of some co-workers. It is the Lord's recovery. It is of Him. It is by Him. It is through Him. It is for Him. And it is unto Him. And He wants us to really know His recovery. 
And this knowing is not a mere mental understanding through acquiring information. This knowing has some elements to it. There must be the pure word accurately presented. There must be the divine revelation by which I mean the unveiling of what is in the word. There needs to be the activity of the spirit to guide us into all the reality. And we need a renewed mind. One aspect of the genuine church life is that we are a family. And in a family, hardly anyone is of the same exact age as someone else. It's normal in a family to have the grandpa, to have the parents, to have the sons and daughters, to have the grandchildren. That's part of the beauty of a family. So we're here meeting as the family of God. We're all the children of God. We're all brothers and sisters. And we're all of different spiritual ages. But somehow I believe that during these six conference meetings, the Lord will have something to speak to everybody. And that everyone, regardless of her or his present spiritual age, will know something, will see something. This is one of the things that God is very good at. I'm fond of saying that God is very, very good at being God. And one thing you can do when you're God, and only God is God in the Godhead, and only he can do it, is that he can listen to everyone's prayers at the same time, and he can speak to everyone at the same time, and he can care for everyone at the same time according to their situation. So, some of the points... They may soar over your head. Let them soar. Some of the points will touch you deeply, but not painfully, in your heart and spirit. Let them touch you. Then when we speak, we'll have the members of the family prophesy. Different spiritual ages, speaking of the things they saw, the things they heard. But the burden is that we would all advance in our knowing the Lord's recovery. Now, the first message is on the four great pillars in the Lord's recovery, part one, truth and life. One thing I am convinced of concerning the Lord's recovery, and I would assure you of this, it is rock solid and unshakable. It's built upon a rock, 
on Revelation Rock. The faithful ministers are not building anything on sand, but they dig deep and build a house on the rock, and there are four unshakable pillars. And the more you know these pillars, the more solid and unshakable you become. So that no matter what happens, and a lot will, we know it because a lot has. No matter what happens, you will not be shaken. That verse in Hebrews 12 about the kingdom may be applied to you. We have received an unshakable kingdom. So we have these pillars, and the first two are truth and life. Now I will, toward the very end of my portion, read through the outline. And the outline, in effect, will be a support for the speaking, but it will also give you something tangible in your hand for your pursuing. I like to ask, but not the way Pilate asked, what is truth? Truth is the revealed divine reality. That's the first part. Truth is the divine reality revealed in the Word of God. Actually, truth is God Himself. The Bible speaks of the truth of God. The Son of God said, I am the truth, I am the reality. He said in John 18, 37, For this I was born, and for this I have come into the world, that I might testify concerning the truth. The Spirit is called the Spirit of reality, or the Spirit of truth, and the Spirit functions to guide us into all the reality. Truth is God Himself. The triune God Himself. And because God himself is truth, the word of God is truth. We read that verse. Your word is truth. When this divine reality in the word is revealed to us, that is the truth. And we will see this revelation is accompanied by a great deal of light because God is light and when light shines on the word the result is the truth something of the revealed divine reality is made real to us we see it we touch it we know it I remember a testimony of a faithful brother named Roger Thomas, dear brother, serving the Lord in the church where he is. 
And he attended a conference. And there was ministry concerning the ground of the church, the local expression of the body of Christ. And he didn't accept it, and he didn't agree with it, and he didn't see it. And this was his state of mind as he was driving home with his wife. And he came to a certain bend, and before he made that maneuver, he didn't see it. And after he did, he saw it. The veil was lifted, and he saw the truth concerning the ground of the church. That revealed divine reality was unveiled to him, and the light came, and he obeyed that, and has been obeying that for decades since then. So truth is the revealed divine reality. But I said that's the first part of the definition. And the truth is the actual human situation seen in the light of this divine reality. In other words, the truth is your actual situation. What you actually are, where you actually are, who you actually are, in yourself and in Christ, in the light of the revealed divine reality. There are troublesome persons, actual enemies of the Lord's recovery. One of their characteristics is they do not know themselves. They're in darkness. They do not know the self. They do not know that self is the embodiment of the mind of Satan. They do not know. Many people hate the truth. You read in Romans, Paul lists at least three characteristics of fallen persons in relation to the truth. First, they hold down the truth. They suppress it. Second, they exchange the truth for a lie. And the third, they are disobedient to the truth. Why is that? Why would human beings hold down the truth? Why would they exchange the truth for the lie? And why would they be disobedient to the truth? Do you want to know the answer? What is the lie? If the truth is the triune God himself, what is the lie? The lie is Satan. The devil. Listen to this, John eight forty four. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, 
and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks the lie, he speaks it out of his own possessions, for he is a liar and the father of it. John eight forty four. I would ask you, please, tonight or tomorrow, read the footnotes on John 8.32, 8.36, and 8.44. There is a being in this universe who is a liar. He speaks out of his own possessions, his own peculiar warped and twisted being. And everything he says is a lie. And in this universe tonight, and in this country tonight, and in this city tonight, a war is raging between the truth and the lie. I think I can give you a little testimony under the Lord's covering. In the last few days, while I was traveling with some brothers through Ireland, I was enjoying most precious fellowship with the brothers. At the same time, there was a spiritual bombardment an attack. And this particular attack largely came through the mind of a very opinionated and warped and even mentally damaged sister who was a conduit for the speaking of Satan through phone calls and email. And the enemy knows when to attack. He knows what to hit. And so he began to inject this feeling. It's all a waste. Now, don't, I'm not saying this, that you will compliment me. I don't feed on your compliments. I live by your prayers. I receive your ministry. But I don't need your praise. It's just all in vain. You give this word. You give that word. It goes nowhere. And it was hard to resist that. But today I checked my inbox for the latest batch. And among the emails was a letter from a brother who just had the feeling to write. He said, I just heard again your message on the ephah vessel. And he said, in essence, be assured that it's not in vain. Amen. Okay, why do I tell you this? One person is lying. 
He's lying to me. It's in vain. Retire. Stop it all. And that person speaks through a human channel. But another person is speaking, the God of truth, the God who is truth. And his word is truth, and he speaks through a human channel, a God-man channel. This in miniature, this is why I tell you this, this is an indicator. We are in a war between the truth and the lie. And we are here as lovers of truth. As lovers of the light. And we will buy the truth and not sell it. And we will be fellow workers of the truth. And we will testify concerning the truth. For that Son of God who became the Son of Man and testified before Pilate is now the life-giving Spirit living in us living his God-man life again, so we can say, for this I was born, and for this I came into the world, that I might testify concerning the truth. The Lord's recovery is founded on the pillar of the truth. Then the second pillar is life. And life also is God himself. The Bible speaks of the life of God. The Son of God said, I am the life. I am the resurrection and the life. 1 John says, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. And the Spirit is the Spirit of life, the life-giving Spirit Life is the triune God. And just as the word of God is the truth, the word of God is life. The angel told the brothers in prison, go out of here, go to the temple, speak the words of this life. The Lord said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and life. So just as truth is the triune God and his word, life is the triune God and his word, then what is death? Death is the devil and his speaking. Hebrews 2.14, the Lord destroyed him who had the power of death. That is the devil. So once again, we are at war. There can be no neutrality, no passivity. Even on a Friday night when we're tired from travel, from work, some of us are not sure what time zone we're in. We will not be passive in our spirit toward life. We choose life. We pursue life. We come to the Word for life. Christ is the life-giving Spirit. Our spirit is life. The mind set on the Spirit is life. Right now, the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is giving life to our mortal bodies. We're men of life. The Word is a word of life. The ministry is the ministry of life. 
And over against this is death. God's purpose is fulfilled by His life. So the enemy will do whatever he can to veil the tree of life, to hinder us from the tree of life, to substitute the tree of life. But the Lord has ordained that life would be a great pillar in the Lord's recovery. To know the Lord's recovery is to know the truth. To know the Lord's recovery is to know life intrinsically. The truth is the triune God in his word. Life is the triune God in his word. The Lord's recovery is the recovery of truth and of life understood in this way. To be in the Lord's recovery is to be in the triune God. To be in the Lord's recovery is to be constituted with the triune God as the truth and as life. This is to know the Lord's recovery intrinsically. It's not just I was with a denomination or I was with the Catholic Church or I was just meeting in an independent gathering and I saw the truth concerning one city and one church. So I left where I was and I began to meet with the church in my locality. Therefore, I am in the Lord's recovery. That's true. And we would do nothing to diminish your happiness of being in the genuine but not perfect church on the ground of oneness. We rejoice in that. That is an excellent beginning. You stay here for some years and decades as an open vessel. You read the word every day and pray and enjoy the Lord and fellowship all the time and be in the meetings and function and serve and preach the gospel and practice a God-ordained way and attend conferences and attend trainings and come to the full-time training or send your kids to the full-time training, whichever is your situation, then gradually you'll get constituted in your being with the triune God as truth, as reality, and as life And you will realize, wow, this recovery is a deep thing. This is a real thing. It is unshakable as God himself is. It's not cheap. It's the narrow way that leads to life. And I am here until I finish my course or until I'm raptured to meet the Lord. This is the Lord's recovery. Now, if I read through the outline in 15 to 18 minutes, which I think is doable, that doesn't mean I will actually do it in that period of time, but I would like to, then there would be 15 or 20 minutes after we pray for many of you to speak something. What did you see? What did you hear? What impressed you? What touched you? What helped you? What enlightened you? It may be a great point. It may be a tiny point. It may be the whole forest. Or in the case of my dear wife, and she knows I speak of her this way, and she knows I do it with affection, 
It may be that you see that in the forest is a tree, on this tree is a limb, on the limb is a branch, on the branch is a leaf, on the leaf is a ladybug, that ladybug has two antennae, and you see the right one very clearly. And Brother A may give this lofty testimony about the forest and he sees this grand scene, this universal view of the Lord's recovery. And then you come up to the microphone and you see a ladybug antenna. I want to tell you, I want to tell you. And I hope those of you who speak Spanish or any other language won't be held back. If you need someone to translate for you, then have someone come up with you and translate for you. If you see an antenna, we'd like to see it with you. Because in this forest there are trees. These trees have limbs. The limbs have branches. The branches have leaves. And on some of the leaves there are ladybugs. And when I last heard, ladybugs have antennae. And that's part of the scene. I think you understand the parable of the ladybug antennae. Don't despise a little thing that you have. Don't despise a small thing that you see. This age will be changed by little people standing together in the spirit of the body, giving a corporate testimony, which is largely a composition of all of our little portions. Now, the outline. The first pillar in the Lord's recovery is the truth. The Lord's recovery is the recovery of the light of the truth. Okay, this word light is crucial. Truth is the shining of light. The expression of the divine light. Light, truth comes when light comes. When light comes, truth comes. So one of our prayers before the meeting was that the heaven over us will be crystal clear. And that the meeting would be full of light. It's a pleasant light. Don't be afraid. Come to the light. Love the light. Open to the light. That light will bring truth, reality into you. Truth is the issue of light. Knowledge without light is doctrine. Okay, we're not for that. We're not equating truth with doctrine. Knowledge without light is doctrine, but knowledge full of light is truth. We have to begin by knowing things. We get some proper knowledge, but it's merely knowledge until light shines on it. Then it's truth. It's always been true. It always will be true. But when the light shines on this bit of knowledge, it's real in you. You see it. That's why our spirit reverberates and echoes when the saints speak. It's not a new objective thing to us, but we enjoy your seeing it. 
You're touching it. It's not only what you heard in children's meeting, what you heard on all the young people's retreats. It's no longer a borrowed revelation. The light is dawning on you. You see it. It's yours. It's your truth. It's your reality. Light is shining on so many things. The light might interrupt someone's sleep tonight. It might keep you awake. It might wake you up. That's up to the Lord and his sovereignty. If he chooses to release light, it may come as a little sunbeam. It may come as a laser beam. It may come as a shower of light. I wonder what would happen if the Lord just shined on all of us for 20 minutes between now and 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. What kind of meeting would we have? What kind of gathering would we be? You would come here. You wouldn't wait for any formality. You would stand up. Only 80 people are here. I got to tell you what I saw. I got to tell you what I touched. This is real. The Lord's recovery is true. Light is shining on me. The truth shall set us free. Praise the Lord. There is light in the truth. And when we receive the light, we are set free. John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John 8, 36, the Son shall set you free. B, the truths as revealed in the scriptures have been lost, missed, misunderstood, misinterpreted and wrongly applied throughout the ages. That's the sad fact. Hence, there is the need of the Lord's recovery. The Lord's recovery is the recovery of the divine truths. As revealed in the Holy Scriptures, the Holy Word of God. The goal of the Lord's recovery is to recover the reality, life, livingness, strength, power, and impact of the matters revealed in the scriptures. The truth in the Lord's recovery is the consummation of the truth of the past 19 centuries. Aren't you glad you weren't born in 1487? Right? I'm thankful... For Martin Luther in 1517 nailing the 95 Theses on the door of the church in Wittenberg. But I'm glad I wasn't there. Aren't you glad you weren't born in 1691? Or in the 18th century to be with Wesley and Whitfield? To be with Zinzendorf? Lord, thank you for these dear brothers. Without them we wouldn't be here. I was in Dublin. When was I? This week. It's still this week, right? I went to Powers Court where Darby had prophecy conferences and saw the building that the brethren first met in. Thank the Lord for the brothers to meet in the name of the Lord Jesus to recover so many truths. But Lord, thank you. I wasn't born in Dublin in 1805. 
Thank you for Charles Spurgeon. Thank you, I was not born in London in 1836. Thank you for Andrew Murray. Thank you, Lord, I was not born in South Africa in 1877. Lord, I appreciate all of these. Without them, we wouldn't be here. We inherited so much from them. But Lord, I thank you for your mercy that I'm in today's recovery. Now, I was born in the 1930s. Can you imagine that? Those of you that are still in your teens or 20-somethings. But if I were you, I would thank the Lord that you were born at exactly the right time and you were born to be in the up-to-date and perhaps consummate recovery of the Lord. But we'd like to acknowledge we inherit so many truths recovered by faithful teachers of the Word and ministers of the Spirit. We stand on their shoulders And the notes in the recovery version are not merely the teaching of one or two brothers. This is the cream of all the truths recovered for at least 500 years. Because the Lord's recovery has been going on for quite a period of time. We need to have the truth wrought into us and constituted into our being. To be constituted with the truth is to have the intrinsic element of the divine revelation wrought into us to become our constituent, our intrinsic being, our organic constitution. You need a lot of light on the word and on the ministry that you read. The spirit will take the word, the ministry, and the light and work it into your being through the pressures of your environment. And you will come through as a person of reality, of truth, of genuineness, of truthfulness, of faithfulness, of sincerity, and of honesty. You will come through as a transparent, crystal clear being, through whose constitution the God of truth shines and flows. Little by little, day by day, touch the word, touch the ministry, in the light, the spirit of reality will work that into you through your God-arranged environment. The result will be a beautiful expression of the revealed divine reality. The kind of church we build up depends on the kind of truth we teach. Thus there is a desperate need of the living truth to produce the church, to help the church to exist, and to build up the church. The solid truth that is constituted into us becomes in us a constant and long-term nourishment. Oh, I just think of, oh, God became man. So that man may become God in life, in nature, in constitution, in appearance, in expression, but not in the Godhead. 
oh, I just think about this and my being begins to reverberate and the life in the truth begins to flow. Oh, may your mind be a mind full of the truth. May your heart be filled with the love of the truth. Then, it, then your being will be nourished day and night by this truth. If the truth is wrought into us and constituted into our being, we will be able to protect the interests of the riches of God's divinity and the attainments of his consummation. In in simple words, we will be able to testify faithfully on behalf of God and his purpose. And we will tell people, God is not building a heavenly mansion for you. God is building up the church as his house and as the body of Christ for his dwelling place and for his corporate expression. There is no mansion for you in the cosmos, but there is a place for you in the Father's house. And the Lord went through death and resurrection to remove all the barriers between you and God, and he came back as the life-giving spirit to live in you and to guide you into all the reality, and to shepherd you into that place in the Father's house, which has been prepared for you, and which can be occupied only by you and no one else. And only when you are in the Father's house, in the place the Son has prepared for you, only then will God be satisfied, and only then will you be satisfied. It is an insult to God, to say that the house in John 14 is heaven. It's an insult to him. As if the purpose of the universe is a condo in the sky. Some even teach animals will have eternal life. If that's the case, I don't know what I'm going to do in my condo. What about all the fish in my wife's 25 fish tanks? The rabbits, the quails, the dogs and their offspring? Even my son's pet snake? I have to live with that in my heavenly mansion? (laughs) We need to testify the truth of point after point. The Lord's word, his truth is in the Bible. But the Bible needs the proper interpretation. Okay, time for frankness and honesty, what I regard as the proper interpretation is the interpretation given in the life studies, in the footnotes, and in the publication of the ministry. Okay, it's not a vague thing. The proper interpretation has come to us through the centuries and has been brought to us by the ministry of the age. Yes, according to the truth, There is a ministry of the age. It was brought to us through the ministers of the age. Yes, according to the truth, there are ministers of the age. And now we have the vision of the age. If you can find a better interpretation, I've got a good-sized library. I have a reasonably adequate theological education. If you've got a better teaching, show me the book. Give me the address of the website. If you can't do that, then 
please accept our suggestion. Read the Bible. Read the footnotes. Read the life studies. Read the ministry. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the footnotes. Read the Bible. Read the messages. Read the Bible. Read the ministry. Read the Bible. Pray. Read the footnotes. Read the Bible. Pray. Read the life studies. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the books of the ministry. We don't equate the footnotes with the text of the Bible. We don't equate the life studies with the books of the Bible. But it's the most faithful, enlightening, life-supplying interpretation of the word I ever heard of in my whole life. I won a prize for theology when I was at that school in Princeton. They gave me a prize in systematic theology. Even then I had a large library. I read all kinds of things, but eventually I realized I cannot trust anyone. And I will not commit myself to anyone. But when I touched the Lord's recovery in 1966, I realized in my spirit, I can trust the ministry of Watchman Nee. And I can trust the ministry of Brother Witness Lee. Because they bring me God, Christ, the Spirit, the divine revelation, the truth, and the life, the grace, and so many things. And my spirit and my being renewed mind testifies. This is a faithful word. A faithful and trustworthy interpretation of the Bible. We have to pay the price to learn the truths. The truth is absolute in itself and we must be absolute for the truth. The standard of the Lord's recovery depends upon the standard of the truth we put out. The truths will be the measure and the standard. The second great pillar in the Lord's recovery is life. Life is the first and basic attribute of God. In the sight of God, only the life of God is life, and only his life can be counted as life. Therefore, when the life of God is mentioned in the New Testament, it is treated as if it is the unique life. He who has the Son has the life. The life of God is eternal. That is, it is uncreated, without beginning or ending, self-existing, ever-existing, and unchanging. God's intention in his creation of man was that man would partake of the fruit of the tree of life and thereby receive the eternal life of God. Amen! This was God's intention in the beginning. To be in the Lord's recovery is to be in this beginning. Life is the triune God dispensed into us and living in us. God the Father is the source of life. God the Son is the embodiment of life. God the Spirit is the flow of life. Life is the way to fulfill God's purpose. God's desire for man to express him in his image and rule in him with his dominion can be realized only by God's life. The central recovery of the Lord is to recover the divine life within us that God may have his corporate expression. The Lord is recovering Christ as life and everything to us, and the church as his body, his fullness. 
The Lord wants to recover the church back to the beginning, back to the eating of the tree of life for his expression.